I couldn't understand why I was still experiencing these failures. I had heard plenty of stories of alcoholics and drug addicts who were set free from their addictions in an instant. It was only later that I came to realize that there's a big difference between an acquired habit like alcoholism or drug abuse and sexual addiction, which is the perversion and intensification of a very powerful human drive. So at the time, I didn't understand how much the Lord had to untwist. The fight for freedom from sexual sin can be a long, drawn-out battle. And failures along the way are so common that nearly everyone has asked themselves at some point, why does it have to be this way? Why doesn't God just snap his fingers and make me holy? Why do I have to go through the pain of trying and failing numerous times before I finally start to achieve victory? And how do I respond if I fall back into sin? These are all common questions and ones that we will address on this episode of Purity for Life. One of the amazing things about God's grace is that he can use everything, even our sins, to further his work inside of our hearts. Now, obviously, we are not advocating giving in to sin. But in this segment from our YouTube series, 20 Truths That Helped Me in My Battle with Porn Addiction, Pastor Steve Gallagher talks about how the fierceness of the battle and the pain of his failures made him desperate for God and aware of just how much more needed to change. Okay, truth number 18. Failure is not defeat in your battle with sexual sin. In an earlier talk, I said, quote, the Lord purposely allows sin to bring with it a host of painful consequences so that we'll come to hate it. I want to talk about the way the Lord uses our failures to accomplish the greatest good for our lives. But I'm going to set the stage for this talk with a biblical story that has nothing to do with sexual sin. It's the story of Hannah found in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. A man named Elkanah had two wives. His favorite wife, Hannah, couldn't have children, and his other wife, Peninnah, was jealous of Hannah and therefore was cruel to her. 1 Samuel 1 says that Peninnah, quote, provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. Being a barren woman in the Jewish culture of that day was a great disgrace. The common belief was that such a woman had God's curse on her. How much deeper was the grief when someone was rubbing it in her face at every opportunity? It went on to say that, quote, she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Hannah felt like a failure in life. And you know what? It was the Lord who closed her womb and put her in the position to feel like a failure. Why would he do that to someone he loved? Listen, God takes no enjoyment in bringing sorrow to his people, 
but he's not afraid to do it if it'll accomplish a higher good for them. In this case, he wanted to bring her to the place of such desperation that she'd be willing to dedicate her son to the Lord's work if only he would open her womb. And that's exactly what happened. So what was the higher good that came out of all her suffering? Her son Samuel became one of the greatest prophets in biblical history. For many years, he traveled around the country exhorting the Jewish people to stay faithful to the Lord. In his old age, he discipled a young man named David into the ways of God. And before it was over, he wrote a good portion of two important books of the Bible. All of that came about because this young woman was allowed to experience emotional anguish for a few years. Even though Hannah's struggles had nothing to do with sexual sin, I can really relate to her story. I'm mostly referring to the period in my life when I was finally seeking the Lord with some degree of earnestness and sincerity. I was spending time with Him every day and doing my best to live a life pleasing to Him. With all my heart, I wanted to be totally free from every trace of sexual sin, but I was still struggling with the temptation to give in to pornography. There were times when I won the battle and there were times I didn't. I couldn't understand why I was still experiencing these failures. I had heard plenty of stories of alcoholics and drug addicts who were set free from their addictions in an instant. It was only later that I came to realize that there's a big difference between an acquired habit like alcoholism or drug abuse and sexual addiction, which is the perversion and intensification of a very powerful human drive. So at the time, I didn't understand how much the Lord had to untwist the perverted thought patterns I had developed over years of sin. This is a process that simply takes time, and to think that it's just gonna instantaneously vanish isn't any more realistic than it would be for a baseball manager to promise his team they're gonna go undefeated for 162 games. Occasional failures are part of that process of coming into real and lasting freedom. But of course, I didn't understand any of this at the time. All I knew was that every failure was extremely painful. The anguish of heart I was going through wasn't much different from what Hannah experienced. And also, unbeknownst to me at the time, that anguish was creating within me a great earnestness to seek the Lord. It's sort of along the same lines of what James talked about when he said, quote, tremendous power is made available through a good man's earnest prayer. Of course, the Lord wanted me to walk in victory over sexual sin, but that was only part of what he wanted to do for my life. He knew I needed victory in other areas of my life as well. Sexual sin was a big problem, but what about pride? What about my tendency towards self-sufficiency? What about my critical spirit? What about my lack of love and mercy? There was actually quite a list of serious spiritual faults still thriving within me. They all needed to be dealt with and eradicated. The truth is that I wasn't all that concerned about pride or my lack of love or any of my other faults. Those sins don't carry the stigma of immorality. So the Lord was utilizing my intense cries for deliverance to begin working in all the areas in my life that needed changing. There's another factor I should also mention regarding this period of struggle. 
In the same way the Lord used those sporadic failures to accomplish a higher good, the enemy also wants to use them for his evil purposes. Every fall opens the door for the enemy to come in like a flood with lies and accusations. You haven't changed at all. You're just as full of lust as ever. You'll never overcome sexual addiction. It's too powerful. Look at your track record. Defeat after defeat, nothing has changed. The other thing demons will do is bring dark thoughts of condemnation into the man's mind. God hates you for your sin. He's gonna send you to hell. You don't belong in the family of God. How can you even go to church? You're nothing but a blemish on the body of Christ. Such accusations are meant to do one thing, to discourage you and get you to give up the fight. If you could only hear God's thoughts, you might be surprised at how vastly different God is from such hateful thoughts. His thinking would probably be more along these lines. I've taken note of the fact that you have really started battling with your sexual sin. I can't tell you how happy I am that you've begun spending time with me every morning. Listen, don't get discouraged. We're gonna fight this battle together and we're gonna win it. So if you're in that phase of walking with the Lord in a real way, but still suffering occasional lapses, don't despair. God is doing a mighty work inside you. He has a plan and he's unfolding it in your life. Just keep fighting. Whatever you do, just keep fighting. Occasional failures in the battle with sexual sin may not mean that you are losing the war, but they can still certainly be disheartening for the believer who wants to be totally free from sexual sin. And worse, if that failure is not properly handled, it can turn into a string of defeats. In this segment, Biblical Counselor Jeremiah Aiken talks with Brooks Popwell about some of the factors that might lead to a fall into sin and how to properly respond to failure. All right, Jeremiah, there is nothing quite as discouraging as failure when you're trying to overcome a certain habit. And I know it's your heart to encourage people that there is freedom and victory for them But because of the difficulties I know people will face, I just want to start by asking you, should people expect to fail when they are trying to change their habit of sexual sin? Well, I want to say to you, Brooks, um, yeah, (laughs) you know, it's kind of like when it comes to spiritual things, people totally like throw out their common sense or how things work in real life. And if you're going to ride a bike if you expect to get on it perfectly the first time, it's just not going to happen. You're not going to ride the bike perfectly. And some people don't want to try because they don't want to fail. But in real life, when you're learning to do stuff, you know, you're going to fall. And if you're going to learn how to ride a bike, you're going to fall like a hundred times, but you got to get back up. You got to persist. And when you're encountering, when you're trying to overcome the habit of sexual sin, it is It is like trying to get on a bike, and you really, you have to be prepared. Yep, you're going to have to learn, you're going to have failures, but you just persist, and you got to have that kind of mindset. Yeah, I understand what you're saying there. Now, obviously, they can't just keep living the same way they lived before. If 
they're trying to change, that wouldn't be a change. So can you help me understand a little more what exactly then is in your mind when you're saying that people can expect failure? Yeah, just to give you, you know, two two examples. Um, like one, I want to kind of go with like lust in the mind. Like, okay, you, you're you're having trouble with fantasies in your mind. It's it's a mental battle. Okay, sexual sin. It's in your mind. Um, when it comes to your mind, you got to think of it like a forest, and each thought is forming a pathway. And the more you travel down that pathway the more it begins to form a trail. I mean, that's how our minds work. So the more we think about certain things, the more ingrained they become in our mind. So to turn from thought patterns that potentially could be in your life 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, it, it, it can be very daunting for sure. Um, but I'm very grateful that Scripture gives us some clear guidelines on how to deal with the mind, and especially when we have... Um, things that have worn pathways in our mind. Um, the Lord does say to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ um, in 2 Corinthians 10, 5 through 6. And in Philippians, it tells us what to think on. So we have to take our thoughts captive, okay, what the, the sinful patterns that we have in our mind. We have to take those captive. We have to begin to recognize those and turn from them. But then we also have to begin to think on the things God calls us to think on, and that's in Philippians 4, 8, and 9. It says, whatever is honorable, right, pure, lovely, good, excellent, worthy of praise, think on these things. So, you know, it's definitely um, a battle. It definitely takes time. Um, but the Lord has laid out those principles for us. But I do want to just say one more thing because it's easy to kind of share Scripture. And it's like, well, what does that look like in real time in combat, Okay. So taking those two scriptures, okay, if I'm going to Walmart, okay, and this is for any sister or brother struggling with sexual sin. If I'm going to Walmart and I see someone that is attractive, okay, to say I shouldn't lust after that, that does that does nothing for me. My heart is lusting, okay? How do I deal with that, okay? How do I deal with what's going on in my mind, what's going on in my heart? Pray for them. Pray for them. Turn your mind from thinking, from coveting, and pray for them. That's easy to say, hard to do. We can get a lot of practice. If we are uh, those who struggle with lust a lot, like me, who was struggling from lust on a daily basis, you, you're, you're going to learn how to pray a lot. Okay, Learn to pray for people instead of lusting for them. That's just a real-life example on how to apply those two scriptures in everyday life. Yeah, so you're alluding to a battle and how to wage that battle. I want to follow that up in just a minute, but before I do... It really helped me when you were giving like that concrete example. Can you maybe do that same kind of thing, but just perhaps with, you know, another example of a sexual sin aspect that people would struggle with? Okay, yeah, thanks, Brooks. I, I would like to bring up one other one, and that's just this, the struggle of masturbation, which is um, just a common struggle more and more between both men and women. Um, obviously, the, the things I shared about the mind go right inside with that because, you know, typically we are um, fantasizing in our mind and then that goes to masturbation. But masturbation, you, you're crossing another line, okay? You're going from just thinking to acting out something. And so I just want to encourage brothers and sisters out there, um, if you're caught in the stronghold of masturbation, one thing that you need to do <laughs> if you're caught in this sin is you need to 
you, first you need to repent before the Lord, okay? First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So confession before the Lord brings cleansing and forgiveness. Okay, but number two, which is where we fail, you need to confess it one to another. God has created the body to heal itself, okay? Cars can't heal themselves. You get a flat tire, you got to get a new one. The cars, you can just leave the car there, nothing's going to change. You get a cut, your body is set up in a way that it will begin to heal itself, okay? You need to confess your sins to one to another, to a spiritual authority, so that you can receive healing. God heals our hearts, but there's the collateral damage from sin, and we also sin against the body of Christ. We need to learn if you are giving over to masturbation, you need to bring that to the light, okay? That's a sin you need to bring to the light and you need to confess before spiritual authority. That's good practical advice. Well, now back to the idea of failure, and I want to go back to that battle you were alluding to earlier. Um, What is the difference between a failure, you know, maybe losing a battle, and what does actual defeat look like, losing the war against this sin? What's the difference between those two? That is a great question. (laughs) That's just a really good question, and it's one... Um, I know for me as a counselor, I constantly have to deal with this, and I was in this, okay? I was in this the failure-defeat kind of mindset. I was thinking I was failing when really I was in defeat, and that is so common for men and women who struggle with sexual sin. They have convinced themselves, deluded themselves into thinking that they're failing when they're really just in a cycle of constant defeat, okay? Um, just go back to the illustration of masturbation. I was giving over to masturbation on a regular basis. But when I shared it, it was always, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. No, if you're giving in to masturbation, you're lifting up the white flag and you're surrendering to the enemy and you're being overrun. If you're viewing pornography regularly, if you're in illicit relationships, you're not struggling, okay? You are defeated. You're, you're defeated and you need to, you need serious help. Here's someone in failure, okay? I got a guy, I'm counseling, okay, he's pressing into the Lord, he's spending time with God daily in his Bible study and in prayer time. He's seeking the Lord, but he's seeing that he's an absolute mess. He feels worse. He's wondering if he's saved at this point because he's seeing just all the rubble and all the sin in his life. That brother, I'm going to encourage. I'm like, God is moving in your life. That's the Holy Spirit showing you who you are. Don't give up. Keep going, brother. God is working in you. The Holy Spirit is illuminating in you. Keep going, brother. And that's where I just encourage that brother, you know, that God is building character. God is doing a deep work of building endurance and character and hope inside of you, but he takes us through trials. And so that that brother, that's someone in failure, whereas the first illustration, that's someone who's just defeated. All right, so you spoke to there, the person who is not in defeat, they're just in a failure because they have an overall walk that's heading in the right direction. What about the people who might hear that and realize, oh, I guess I'm in defeat and this isn't just a failure. What do they do to get out of that? I mean, I know we can't go into a lot of it, but just, you know, in a brief way, how would you answer that? Brief. In a brief way, um, they need a lot of help. And so that's where you just, you got to ask for help. You, you can't do this by yourself. If you're a soldier fighting by yourself, you're going to lose. I mean, bottom line, the enemy is going to just gather forces, rain down on you, and you're just going to get weaker and weaker. Okay. And you need help. You need the body of Christ. You need spiritual authorities. You got to learn to get in the word. You need 
to learn how to pray. You need to learn how to fight. And so, you know, you need a lot of help. That's why our program, our program's a great one, but also your local church. You gotta, you need help. If you see you're in defeat, get help. I thought we could take a moment and just maybe share some things personally, because maybe that'll help someone who's, you know, dealing with this themselves. I, myself, you know, you were talking about how God helps us if we will open up to people, to the church. I, I really can testify that that happens and that God can restore people. I remember the other summer when I was traveling on vacation, I don't usually, you know, get out a lot. Uh, and so there was more temptation there than normal toward lust. I remember just under the temptation of that situation, um, just a day where, you know, instead of fighting like I am taught to do, like I, you know, do with God's help on a daily basis, that I just sort of threw up the white flag and just gave into that for a day, that, uh, that lust. And it was a dark day, the darkest day in a long time that I can remember. But, you know, God helped me the next day, first thing in the morning, to call someone who was a spiritual authority in my life here at Pure Life, um, and just to tell him what had happened. And there was, I, I just, it was so different than how it used to be when I, you know, just lived in that sin. I, it was night and day. That next day, I was completely back. The Lord's presence was there, and I, I didn't, it wasn't a rut. I didn't get in a rut of sin. I just went on with my life with God. And yeah, I, I guess I'm surprised or was surprised at the time just how uh, dramatic of a shift that could have happened. I mean, number one, how you can really fall into a sin, uh, and it can be surprising how that can happen. But then number two, you know, how you can just so quickly, the Lord can take you out of it, you know, through a brother, through talking to someone, getting prayer, confessing it. I just, it was it was a lesson to me. Just going along with that, Brooks, Oh, that was so good. Um, yeah, I can remember a similar situation um, where I was doing well spiritually and I kind of took my foot off the brake. I had some vacation time and I just wanted to, you know, this is my time now. I can watch some movies. I can really relax. And the Lord was very clear, like, you know, well, if you're going to watch some some movies, you need to spend more time with me. And I said I would, but I didn't. And so I just kind of gave over to my flesh, and then I got very, very sick with the flu, and then the lust hit me. And spiritually, I was just unarmed. And, you know, I really gave over to some sin that, um, you know, also I'd been walking victory, and it was devastating. Like, it was absolutely devastating to me. And I remember I got up early and found a place, and I was just crying out to the Lord for a time. And I knew I had to call my spiritual authority first moment it was it wasn't too early but it was early enough to call him i i called him and i'll never forget all he said was well you got to get up and keep going and that was it <laughs> that was all he said and I, I made some i saw that i had some leaks in my life i saw that i really wasn't spending quality time with the lord in the morning i recommitted myself to the lord and within two weeks it was hard it was a hard two weeks but within two weeks i was further ahead spiritually than I was before I fell. And so the Lord really taught me a lesson and really just helped me get back on my feet through that failure. He used that failure to help me. And so, yeah. Well, I guess we've established now that failure is a reality that we have to face. 
at some times in our Christian life that it's not going to like define your life if you're really walking with God, but that it could be there. It could happen, especially as you're getting over sexual sin, you know, being a habit. I wanted you maybe now to talk some more about what are some of the possible lessons that someone should be open to learning while they're dealing with a failure that's occurred in their life? Just one thing with that, Brooks, one misconception, I think, at least this is what I always had. I always approached the Bible like, you know, I want to be like these almost perfect people. You know, I want to walk like these people. The Bible isn't full of perfect people. It's full of people who God gave showed mercy to. The, the, the Bible is a story about God's mercy to fallen people. I mean, you go through it, David, I mean, tremendous failure. And I don't, I'm not touting the failure, but it's, you know, Abraham, you know, lied about his wife three times. Um, Samson, you know, just got hung up on a girl and just kept missing it. But then Samson's in the hall of fame of faith. David's a man after God's own heart. Abraham, you know, um, the father of the faith. We will fail, but God's mercy will overcome. And I don't, I'm not giving people license or anything like that. You have to deal with those, your failures. And each one of those men paid a great price for their failures. I mean, Samson got his eyes gored out. David, um, the kingdom was taken away from him for a season. His son died. You know, Abraham had to go through Ishmael leaving the house. Um, So, you know, there's consequences to our failures, but it's God's mercy, okay? It's God's mercy. And one thing we learn from our, our failures, when I try to battle in my own strength, I will always fail. Psalms 27 through 9 says, Some boast in chariots, some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. Save, O Lord, may the King answer us in the day we call. When we trust in the Lord, we will be victorious. When we trust in ourselves, we will fall. That's just throughout Scripture, and the Bible is full of imperfect people who turn to the Lord in their failures. And that's the key. Turn to the Lord. Don't turn to yourself. Turn to the Lord in your failure. Call out to the Lord. That's the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Who was who was justified? The man who cried out to the Lord in his failure. The tax collector. Okay, not the religious guy. The tax collector. God will hear our cry when we call out to him in our failure. But we have to call out to the Lord. And I know we kind of already touched on this about taking proper action after someone fails. Can you revisit that maybe for a moment and give us any other advice you'd have to someone, you know, right after a failure occurs in their life? What what should they do? Yeah, that's another good question, Brooks. Um, you know, and just, you know, real, real brief, uh, repent to the Lord, turn from your sin, and you turn from your sin by cutting off any of the entrances which sin is coming into your life. It's the internet. You might need to get rid of the internet. I know that's like impossible for some people, but yeah, you need to cut off your sin. Um, You need to confess to your spiritual authorities and then do something. (laughs) Do something. Be like Jesus. Get involved in the needs of others. Go to a soup kitchen, okay? Those are just three simple steps that you can do uh, on the heels of a failure um, to get you back on track. This is how I'd, I'd sum it up, okay? Um, and I'm going to just use Scripture because the Lord just knows. The Lord knows how we have to handle being in a fallen world. Why? Because he did it. <laughs> he did it. It says in James 1, 2 through 4, 
Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, your faith is being tested, okay? That's what we need to understand. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There's something being produced (laughs) in us when we face trials. It's producing endurance, and let endurance have its perfect work. Why? So that you may be perfect or complete, lacking in nothing. The Lord is doing something in your life. Okay, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, there's failures. Get back up and keep getting back up and keep your eyes on the Lord. Okay, and walk with your fellow brothers and sisters. Whether we succeed or whether we fail in the battle with sexual sin really begins in the mind. When we first realize that we are being tempted, how we respond mentally is what makes all the difference. Do I choose to fight or do I choose to give in? Now, we've already talked about the fact that failure doesn't equal defeat, and we've given you some insights on how to get back up and keep pressing on after a failure. And now, we want to give you some tools to help you start preventing those failures in the first place. Here's Mike Johnston and Pastor Ed Book, our Director of Counseling, to show you how to win the battle for a beautiful mind. Ed Book has joined me in the studio. Ed, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming in to talk with us today. Hi, Mike. It's good to be here. Ed, you have written an article that has been posted on our website entitled The Battle to a Beautiful Mind. And as I was reviewing your article this morning, the verse came to my mind, bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And I remember the first time that I read that verse, I thought to myself, great, how do I do that? You started this article by kind of underscoring the reality that this really is something that God cares about. Talk about that. Yeah, well, God cares about it a great deal. Obviously, the fact that he would say something like that in Scripture tells us that he cares a great deal about every thought, not just our Mm -hmm. thoughts as a total package, but every individual thought is to be brought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. One of the things you said in this article as you were opening it to the reader that it may sound like you have some experience with this. Talk a little bit about your own experience dealing with thoughts. Sure. For me, this has been a huge problem in my life from the early days of my attempts to walk out the Christian life, kind of walking around with the notion that, you know, if I attend church regularly and do some good spiritual things that I can endure a few hits Mm -hmm. uh, in my thought life. If you look at it kind of like a boat, I had holes all over the place Mm. and eventually sank. Mm. I know that people that struggle with thoughts that they're having that they know aren't pleasing to the Lord sometimes will try to endure it. Sometimes they will white knuckle it. You know, it's like, okay, I'm just determined. I'm not going to have these thoughts anymore. But man, the Lord just seems to have so much more for us than just enduring these things. He really wants us to have victory over these things, doesn't he? Yes, absolutely. And my passion would be to try and really relate to people that you don't have to spend your life dwelling in impure thoughts. You can have victory over that. Mm. You said that you've learned that success doesn't come in the form of some secret formula. Well, as the article goes on, I talk about several very practical things that we can do to bring us into victory in our thought life. But the reality is that those things aren't in and of themselves going to be cure-alls. And even if I 
commit myself to that fully, it's not going to automatically result in victory. Okay. Well, let's park there for a moment, Ed, because I know what is really on your heart is to talk about what the foundation of victory needs to be laid on. Anyone who wants to pursue victory over their thought life is going to have to have the help of God. And it's not just knowing God or being able to talk about him in a theological sense. It's having that personal dynamic relationship, that one-on-one connection with Mm -hmm. God where he's truly real to you. It's about having a relationship with God that isn't a means to an end, but is the end itself. Yeah. The goal here is a relationship with God. I want you to talk a little bit more about that because so many people have been churched for so many years. Everybody thinks they have some relationship with God, but I want you to talk about what that relationship became to you that gave you the incentive to be able to overcome the thoughts that you were struggling with. For me, it was learning to see him as my father and to know that he truly loved me Mm -hmm. uh, and having a connection with him every day that lasted throughout the day. So it wasn't just a compartmentalized thing that I did in the morning or the evening and Mm -hmm. and checked off my list, but it was a relationship that I worked on throughout the day and realized that he was with me and That became so real to me when I came to Pure Life Ministries and began to actually wholeheartedly seek the Lord. Mm -hmm. He began to reveal himself to me, and I began to experience his presence with me, his thoughts becoming my thoughts. And it's just a very special relationship that you enter into Mm -hmm. with him. And I realized that he knows all of my thoughts, by the way. (laughs) You know, we haven't really mentioned that, but none of them are hidden from him. Yeah. And he loves us anyway. Yeah. And so I found that I don't need to hide them in shame like I would attempt to do when you really realize that he knows all of you and he loves you. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a breaking that comes with that. And I'm no longer worried about keeping a to-do list. I'm just wanting to honor him. I'm wanting to please him. I'm wanting to hear his voice. I'm wanting to spend time with him. And and so my thought life just kind of Mm. falls into place where it belongs. Yeah. Uh, And that kind of leads us, if I could, to some of the practical things that in and of themselves are not the answer. We've laid the foundation of the answer, I think. It's it's a relationship with the Lord. It's a love, intimate relationship with him. Our desire is not to keep all the rules. Our desire is to live a holy life that is pleasing to him. But there are some practical things that we can do and need to do in order to really, I could say, to develop that relationship, uh, which ultimately will help us to deal with these these thoughts that we're struggling with. The first thing that I laid out in the article was the need uh, when you realize at some level that your thoughts have gone in a wrong direction. I call it breaking the trance. You know, you can sit there and, and it's almost like you're in a trance and your mind is just going down that path. And unless you do something to break that trance, you're just going to likely keep going down it until it provokes some kind of outward sin. It's just by default. Yeah. yeah. In autopilot, we are walking in the flesh. That is just our natural position to walk in. We have to grab hold of the controls and we have to choose to walk in the spirit. Right. And so in the very practical way that 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 works out is if I'm sitting there at the computer and it starts, I get up. A lot of times it really doesn't take that much to break the trance. It's just a a minute or so of some other 
diversionary activity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned also pray. <laughs> <laughs> pray, yes. We really tend to neglect our weapon of prayer, and it's probably the most essential weapon that we have, really. Mm-hmm. Because it goes back to that whole building of the relationship with God. Well, prayer is absolutely essential. That's Mm -hmm. one of the key components of developing that relationship. And then you can bring that into the very practical realm of asking God for deliverance from impure thoughts, for his spirit to work in you to bring them to your mind so you realize when you're drifting off and uh, you can cut it off sooner. Yes. You know, maybe this is particularly true to men. I don't know, but we just somehow we just naturally slip into the thing is like, no, I've got to do this. Well, good luck, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) I have discovered in my life that every time I try to do it, I fail. We desperately need God's help. Uh, Thirdly, you said that you really need to get serious about applying the admonition given by the Apostle Paul, do not be conformed to this world. Talk about what that means. When Paul wrote, do not be conformed to this world, the world was, of course, a lot different in many ways, but in some ways it was very much the same. And, And believers in every generation have always had the tendency to conform to the world's standard in their lives so that the activities they participate in, the entertainments they're involved in, the things that they spend their time doing, mm. uh, there's a worldliness that is involved in many of those things. And when Paul said, do not be conformed to the world, he was telling us we need to separate. There needs mm-hmm. to be a distinction between my life and the life of one who's just caught up in the things of the world. Yeah, and I would take it even a step further, that it's not just the outward things we do, but it's even maybe more importantly, it's the attitudes of our heart. That's right, Mike, and and that's ultimately what God is really after in mm-hmm. all of this. Even our, our thought life, he wants us to have a pure thought life, but mm-hmm. it's because he wants our heart. Yeah. And if I can go even further with that, God wants us to be like him. Yeah. You know, we have the wonderful promise that one day we will see him as he is and we will be like him. Amen. You know, and I want I want you to say something to encourage the fellow out there or ladies that may have really battled with this and and failed and they really haven't seen the victory. Just encourage them to keep fighting. Well, that's kind of easy to do, I guess, really, because there's nothing worse in my mind than being like I was before, just kind of bound up in a darkness mm. and an oppression and, a, you know, suicidal thoughts and, and all of that going on. And really to be able to come into the light out of that and realize that I didn't have to stay there. I could yeah. have turned to the Lord and he can bring me out of that. And there's life and joy and mm. um, a relationship with God that supersedes everything else that makes it all worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Well, thanks for uh, coming in and talking to us about the battle to a beautiful mind. Thank you, Mike. It was good to be here. Where are you at in your spiritual battle? Are you walking in victory? Are you fighting your way out of sexual sin with some occasional failures? Or are you living in a state of defeat? I encourage you, take some time today to accurately assess your life. Ask God to search your heart. It is very easy to just put up a front and convince ourselves that we are only occasionally failing when we are actually living in full-on defeat. 
But if you are genuinely repentant and starting to experience victory, remember, failure is not defeat. Take heart, get up, cry out for mercy, and believe God to continue to bring about his victory over sin in your life. I'm Nate Dancer, and this is Purity for Life. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.